Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, where we will bring you some of the most interesting interviews and features from the world of tech. Visit irishtechnews.ie and check out our podcast section to explore all of our previous episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast using whatever your favourite app or service is by visiting anchor.fm forward slash irish-tech-news. Hi everyone, just a quick favour to ask before we get going. Our podcast has gone from strength to strength lately, but we'd like to find out how we can improve. We've put together a short survey and we would love to get your feedback. Anyone who takes the time to give their feedback will be entered into competitions where they can win prizes such as smartphones, cameras and drones. So please visit irishtechnews.ie forward slash podcast dash feedback. That's irishtechnews.ie forward slash podcast dash feedback fill out the survey and to be given a chance of winning one of those great prizes. Thanks for your time and now back to the podcast. Today my guest is a very, very well-known man, Chris Skinner, and I'm very, very grateful for him coming, taking the time out to come on my show. Welcome indeed to the show, Chris. Yeah, hi, how are you doing? I'm very good. Now, you are one of the most influential people in technology, and I know this because you've got about 30 of these accolades, not just one. Now, they all seem to, perhaps I'm wrong, is it the last couple of years that you've really come into your being? You, you, a lot of these awards seem to be 2019 onwards. Have you suddenly hit your, hit your stride? Uh, I'd kind of say I've been there all, all along, but um, I think what happened is that 20 years ago, I became unemployed because I'm unemployable. And um, I started hobbies that became my job. And my hobbies were basically drinking with people and uh, writing about the future. And um, luckily, I've been very lucky that that became a business. Um, In fact, several businesses. So I'm a lucky guy. Putting it like that, it sounds very nice. Can I apply to join your job, your company? I can do that too. I'm sure I can. Now, I have to say, uh, sort of confession time, a lot of my friends and colleagues are huge fans of yours. And and I'm not surprised because your writing is insightful. It's interesting. Now, the financier.com is your main blog. What are your favorite topics? Well, what do you cover there to give people an idea if you haven't read the financier.com? I mean, it's insightful. It's it's amazing. But how would you describe it? Uh, I mean, I think why people like it is because I don't work for a company. So I say it how I see it and I say it how it is. Um, or that's what I try to do. Um, I'm kind of still a rebel with the cause and um, the cause is all about the system of technology and finance and government and politics and the economy and how the world operates so I don't narrow my blog down to just talking about payments and commercial investment and retail banking and technology I, I actually over the years have grown into talking about anything I find interesting um, that covers politics, economy, society, technology, but it really is always about what's the future. And that's the core. You have got the best job in the world. I'm definitely, I'm sending my CV in after this. I want to join you. So I was looking at, at, through your stuff, you are, in addition to your writing, you've published First of all, I thought three books. You publish oodles of books. I don't know where you find the time to do them all. Um, are you, 
the one thing I'm just curious too, in terms of, and maybe also in your topics too, the financier, because as I may have given a clue away, the title of this podcast is The Crypto Writer. So when did you start looking at Bitcoin and alternative forms of finance and payments and value? When did that come into being? Oh, geez. I mean, I've been looking at Bitcoin since 2011, uh, a couple of years after Satoshi Nakamoto's paper. Um, I invested in Bitcoin and then lost a load of money in Bitcoin and then invested again in Bitcoin and made a load of money out of Bitcoin. Um, but actually, I'm more preference towards ETH or ETH or however you say it, ETH, because Ethereum is um, a smart version of the blockchain just with the ledger technology for businesses that allows them to do smart contracts. Having said that, some people still um, believe in that. Some people don't believe in that. Um, I think we've reached a real inflection point in 2020, 2021. Um, because if you look at how cryptocurrencies have moved in the last year, it's been a quite amazing roller coaster ride of uh, an upward curve. And to me, a large part of that is the more people lose confidence in fiat currencies and governments, the more that cryptocurrencies and democratization rises. And that's what we've seen in action clearly in the last year. I guess in no small part to like, for example, governments around the world doing their huge quantitative easing. It's like people, it's great to get helicopter money, which is super when it's needed, but then the implications of that for a country and for savings and for the value of a, of a fiat currency is quite staggering, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I live in my own little little head here in Poland, um, which is where I have my house because I have a Polish wife. Um, and, you know, we've been living just outside Warsaw and every day I wake up and I'm thinking about stuff. And what's struck me is, and I blogged about it the other day, is that money is just a construct in our heads. And that's the weird thing that when you strip away everything about humanity. And I've actually talked about this a few times over the last year. Um, we are just animals, um, which we don't like to think of ourselves that way, but we are an animal on earth, just like any other animal, a dog, a cat, a gorilla or a giraffe. You know, we are just here on earth, living our lives. And the fact that we talk and we have business and commerce and constructs like money and banking and finance, is purely fictional and made up. And if you take all of that construct away in your head, then it's a bit like taking the red pill in the matrix. You suddenly wake up and go, oh my God, the world is not the way I thought it was or is. It's completely different. And I think the pandemic and the lockdown has been my red pill. Ah, so you wouldn't have considered it quite so obviously before sorry my mic is echoing there so you wouldn't you would would you have i mean the concept concept money being a concept and a construct is a, is a fundamental point and it's when you think about it it's very obvious of course of course it is because this is you know we're exchanging bits of paper or lines on a computer and why does it make one value and why does it why does it go down but do you think it takes something like a pandemic to to make people think twice about it is that what what it's working is that is that what what was the pill was to you it's, it's just a belief system it's a bit like um are you catholic or christian or islamic or muslim or jewish you know it's a belief system and that's purely what money is and that's something that struck me very 
fundamentally in the last year. Um, but the fact is, and the bottom line is that if I want to buy something, uh, at whatever it may be, I have to provide the construct, the currency of the person who's selling. And that's what's changing with cryptocurrency in the last year, in the last 10 years, because the construct of how we buy and sell is changing. And potentially 10 years from now, you know, the whole idea of national fiat currencies might be um, torn apart. And I'm not saying it will be, but I can see how people who've been arguing the case for that for the last 10 years have a point which I didn't see until the last year. I suppose it's a bit like I grew up in Ireland where church and state are still very tightly aligned. In the UK, whatever, I don't know about Poland, but in most, in many countries around the world, they're quite separate. You know, many, uh, certainly in the developed world, they're quite separate. So um, money and state, bank and state, there's no reason why that in the future could not be separated as well. Well, it's all about um, the idea that technology can democratize the world. And when you think about the internet and the 5G, 4G networks, they don't recognize boundaries or governments. And they equally, therefore, don't recognize countries or institutions. So you now have the opportunity to create a whole new network that's completely different to the old one. And on the one hand, I can empathize with that because I believe in a globalized world and the fact that because of the network of telecommunications and technology, we can all live being connected to each other wherever we are, no matter how remote or how far away. Um, particularly we become multi-planetary, which we are definitely going to be. On the other hand, I can see the traction of governments to limit that change and the challenges they have in that change and that some citizens don't want that change and uh, most politicians don't want that change so it's hugely challenging it's an amazing moment in history mm. it's like you were saying earlier about you know it's constructing nowadays we we allow banks to do it because it's easy because they they talk about the coincidence of wants it's unlikely if you have a cow and i have a sheep we're going to swap because you probably want a donkey or something. I don't know. It's hard to get it to line up in sort of pure barter. But then are you watching? And I'm sure you have uh, the joyful, I think it's joyful, rise of the Dogecoin. Is that something that makes you smile in the morning? Yeah, it makes me smile. But at the same time, I don't have any because I don't believe in it. And I think it's a joke. Um, well, it is. It, I think it's a joke. But it's a bit like GameStop and Blackberry and other stuff. Um, and in fact, Complete aside, I've just written seven children's books. <laughs> so I'm coming Captain on Cake. to them. Oh. <laughs> well, CaptainCake.com. I, I, I've written an eighth book, which is FinTech for Kids, um, which I think is the book that most bankers will give to their boardroom members. Um, and interestingly, within that, I do talk about the idea of exchanging um, you know, three sheep for a cow which then someone said to me, oh, religious, you've got to change that to, you know, it's got to be three um, Toasters. frogs for a toaster, yeah, whatever. Um, but basically, it is this idea that um, 
when you peel everything back, uh, you know, the world today is global and integrated, but the construct of our financial system and governments are not global and, and integrated. And the friction between the technology construct and the governmental construct is, is where I see the real sort of uh, friction right now. And over the next decade plus, uh, I think we, we will move to a, a global currency. Um, what that global currency will be, who knows? Uh, it probably won't be Bitcoin. It will be something related to Ethereum, probably, maybe. Um, but the world is changing and the financial system is changing. The governmental system is changing. And I just don't know whether enough people know what that means or how to deal with it. Do you think that CBDCs... I'm going to say it again, I don't know why it's in that. Do you believe that CBDC, central bank digital currencies, are a natural stepping path from fiat to crypto or are they the, the end point? No, I think CBDCs are the flailing sort of drowning moment of governments trying to deal with crypto's rise and the way in which Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies like Dogecoin or Doggycoin, whatever you want to call it. Um, Someone was calling it <laughs> Dodge coin the other day. Dodge, it's dodgy coin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like shit coin. Um, <laughs> or if you're yeah. Italian, sheep coin, as Rubini says. But the way they're changing the world. I mean, so I was, and, and I spend a lot of time in my own head these days, as we all do, because we're stuck at home. But I did an auction yesterday because it was May the 4th of Star Wars memorabilia. And I'm paying in UK pounds, but at the same time, I'm thinking I could just as easily be paying in dodgy coins or shite coins or whatever. Um, because it is, and equally, the, the amount I'm bidding for those items is purely based on how many people are at that moment on the marketplace, which goes back to the basic fundamentals of demand and supply and economics. So if we strip everything back to the fundamentals of economics, who's in the marketplace, how much have they got to spend, and who's got the things they want to buy? And what do the things they want to sell have to be paid in what form? You know, and you strip it back to those essentials, that's actually the very basics of how civilizations began 10,000 years ago, which I've written about in Digital Human. But Equally, it's where we are right now, and we think we're very sophisticated. We're not. We're, we're animals. We, we're just basic people dealing in exchange of goods and services for a value based on who's in the market at that point of time and how much they're willing to pay. You know, so the reason why I mention that is, and I'll, I'll, I'll give away an example. There was a David Prowse signed Darth Vader photograph. And I was on the auction the whole day because I'm I'm into that stuff. I'm very nerdy. Um, but they had several of them during the day. One sold for um, several thousand pounds. One sold for several hundred pounds. You know, it purely who's in the marketplace at that point, at that moment, willing to buy and willing to play. And what form you pay in? Are you watching then the incredible rise of NFTs and non fungible tokens? Yeah, 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 yeah. I actually really am quite into NFTs. I, don't, I haven't bought any because I'd rather have a physical a physical asset. Um, 
yet at the same time, I've argued for uh, a decade that digital asset management is an incredibly important part of the market that now NFTs display as a clear example of what's happening, which is to say, you don't need to have the physical goods. You just need to have the ownership of the digital um, art or digital asset. Um, and in many ways, you know, the ownership of a digital asset might be better than the ownership of a physical asset. I've got so many physical assets right now that due to lockdown, I can't claim. I'd, I, I just thank goodness I took photographs of them and they're digital. So you have them. I wanted to ask you a slightly different question. It kind of ties in. I want to go back to your book again. I'm interested in your books. Um, you're an advisor, right? Now, you're an advisor. You obviously have a very wide view of the world, a very progressive view of the world, and you're interested. You look at things. You write about things. You think about things. But I'm really curious, right, because you are an advisor to the UN, the White House, the World Bank, and the World Economic Forum, amongst other bodies. What advice do you give them? Uh primarily what's next in finance and technology. So when I was made redundant many years ago, um, I started to write research as a freelance consultant around finance and technology. And I've always been interested in the future um, because that's what we don't know. The future ain't what it used to be, as Yogi Berra said. Um, equally, nostalgia ain't what it used to be. Um, so I, I always focus on what's next because that's what um, we don't know. You know, there's no point in talking about today or yesterday because that's gone. Um, talk about tomorrow. So I've always talked about tomorrow. And, um, you know, I was ducking and diving and doing a, a bunch of stuff that ended up with being focused on the future and talking about the future within the construct of banking and technology particularly because that's my speciality and expertise. So these organizations um, you mentioned um, eventually stumbled over me and said, could I advise them where that I see the future of finance and technology? Um, and so, yeah, I've very happily been involved in those dialogues and discussions, but I do the same with a lot of bank boards and a lot of technology companies and FinTech companies. So, you know, I duck and dive all over the place. Do you get tired of giving advice? Not at all. I mean, if you ever get tired of talking about the future, then you might as well stay in the past. Yeah, you might as well <laughs> you know, be six feet under. Um, you know, the fact is that every day I wake up and I, I'm excited to, to think about what's next. Your books. Okay, I looked at your books. And um, I've, there's a couple of really pertinent, there's actually there's two pertinent, three pertinent questions I've got to ask. Why is it important that Captain Cake is a Victorian sponge? <laughs> oh, geez. Um, so maybe we should explain Captain Cake, which is that I've got two little boys who are twins who um, I've been locked down with since 2020 when they were four years old. And I got bored of telling them stories from Julia Donaldson and David Williams and you know A. A. Milne, um, Winnie the Pooh, whatever. Um, I think they got bored of it as well, to be honest, because it wasn't so exciting. But the trouble was is that there wasn't much that was um, exciting apart from 
Marvel comics and DC comics and things that are maybe a little, a little bit too mature for four-year-olds. So I ended up telling them stories about Captain Cake. And the reason why Captain Cake is a Victorian sponge is because that's my favorite cake. I uh, you mustn't forget Lieutenant Chocolate and Sergeant Jelly and Private Protector. No, I have them too as well. And I love, of course, obviously your love to sweetly go where no sweet has gone before. But the second question, and actually you've answered the third and what age are your boys. But the second question, which I think is actually very interesting, is you chose superpowers for your merry crew, your your, your candy crew, that aren't like, you know, magic ones. They're, they're like real uh, characteristics. Tell me about why that was important to give them real superpowers that ordinary folk can have. You've obviously been doing too much thinking, Gillian. <laughs> and that, you know, Captain Cake can throw um, cream and jam because he's a bit boring sponge. Lieutenant Chocolate can throw chocolate and caramel because he's a caramel chocolate bar. Um, and Sergeant Jelly can throw jelly because she's a, a strawberry jelly. Um, Private Potato can't throw anything because she's a vegetable. So, you know, she's on the sidelines. But I, it, actually, it's really funny because I've written seven books now in the series. And uh, I, I know it's nothing to do with FinTech, but it's just my head going stupid whilst I'm locked down. I've ended up creating a veggie crew. So there's a candy crew, which are the cake and chocolate and jelly and uh, sweet potato. Mm -hmm. uh, but the veggie crew is um, a captain cabbage uh, and a lieutenant broccoli, a sergeant potato who's a male, uh, and a private carrot who's also a male. And so I kind of switch them around. So part of my point in the, the candy crew is that the girls are in the uh, lower positions, but actually the positions don't matter because they have special powers and special capabilities. And then in the veggie crew, it's the opposite way around which is the, the girls are in their senior positions uh, and, and the, the men are junior. It's just playing with roles. Stereotypes, yeah. and it's, it's, it's trying to educate kids to realise that it doesn't matter who you are and how you look and what gender you are and, and how you behave. It's, it's all about developing your sort of inner characteristics. And in fact, that's a critical point, which is you know, maybe the conclusion of this part of the discussion but i'm running a thing called the portrait foundation with a, ask you. Yeah. an artist bastia hamilton and my whole thing today you know bearing in mind that i'm not as young as i used to be and nostalgia isn't what it used to be is that with small children i want to develop them to be the best they can be and i don't want them to feel any limitations or inhibitions so what we should be doing is developing the best of children's creativity and capability and not teaching to be machines because machines can learn and that's what we're doing with technology you know machine learning artificial intelligence will automate all the things that we can do so what we need to do as humans and as children in particular is nurture them to do things machines can't do like create art and create anything you know yeah. just think outside the box and be yourself because what do they say? Creativity, critical thinking, and there's one other thing that they recommend. Emotions. Yes, it sounds like that. Just rather than learning by rote, because you say, 
when did you ever as a human being in the big world have to say i must remember this or i could google it you know i must i must remember the periodic table it's going to be so important oh i can google it <laughs> which is mad yeah. okay and, and and google doesn't cry oh yeah ah yes that's a whole new topic we're gonna move on <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna ask you three questions just just because we have actually kind of diverged into you who you are and a little bit like that and your kids and your views so you're a futurist i want you to look back and if there was something you could change it doesn't have to be a big thing it could be your haircut I'm not saying anything about your haircut but if you could change one thing about yourself what would it be about myself mm. um probably the way in which i behaved at university um people never thought i would make it past 30 years old wow. and i'm still here i won't say how old i am but i'm still here um but th they thought i was a bit mad um and in fact i um tweeted today that uh, as i lay I laid on the couch and said do you think i'm crazy the ikea assistant said yes I'm still crazy. Oh, that's good, isn't it? You don't want to be boring. Although my still children, crazy. my children who are grown up frequently tell me, you're not as crazy as you think you are, mom. Darn it. Okay. What second question? What would be your best achievement? Well, um, before we started this conversation, you said maybe my twin boys, which I would say, yes, they're my best achievement. Um, my second best achievement would be the fact that I have had a very uh, enjoyable career that's continued 20 years past being made redundant. Um, and one of the th things I blogged a while, uh, quite a while ago now was the, be you know, the best thing that ever happened to me was being made redundant. So uh, the reason I said that is that it forced me to do something. And I would say, if you're ever comfortable in your life, become uncomfortable. There's an expression that took me years to realize what it meant, but it might be applicable to what you've just said. It's an ill wind that blows no good. Yeah, it's but weird. equally, actually, an ill wind blew me a lot of good. That's exactly. Um, it's an ill wind that so, blows no good. So yeah. it's, it's, it's like with a disaster comes a gift. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I've had several disasters in my life. And every time it's always been um, something that's made me a better person. Yeah, that's so cool. Finally, if you had a magic wand, if you were Captain Cake and you could change, you've got twin boys now, five years of age, if you could change anything in the world, and not you, it's not you, this is the world, is there one thing you could do that might make a difference, do you think? Make flowers blue or something, I don't know. Make it sunny in Ireland all the time. Well, short answer or long answer? Short answer, um, save the world. Long answer, use technology to make it that we stop screwing this planet and save this planet. Uh, just before coming on to this call, uh, I had a long conversation with um, a lady who leads Extinction Rebellion, uh, Gail Bradbrook. Um, and it's a fascinating discussion. It could have gone on for days rather than hours. But my next book is about digital for good and how we can use technology to save the world and society uh, which sounds grandiose but i do believe technology can save the world and society and that you know 
we've discovered in the pandemic and the lockdown that we can do everything remotely over a video connection over Zoom um, or Skype or Teams or whatever you use. So why do you need to get on a plane? And why do we need to destroy the planet with carbon emissions that are ridiculous? And the most ridiculous part of this is 71% of climate emissions that damage the planet are produced by 100 companies, so the fossil fuel companies. They're funded by the banks to trillions of dollars and the banks need to learn that they have to tell those companies to stop doing this. And that's something that's doable. It's not you know, a, a huge issue. It's all to do with stop making money out of screwing the planet. And that to me is the simplest message for the future. Stop making money out of screwing the planet. Wow, that's fantastic. Thank you very much indeed for your time today. I've enjoyed it. I can't wait to read the book that you're, you're encouraging board members of banks to read. I, I, <laughs> I would buy some and post them personally to some of my banking friends and colleagues. So thank you so much, Chris. You are an amazing man. I love your thought processes. Very interesting. And um, I can't wait. I haven't read your books. I can't wait. I'm going to buy some books and become au fait with Captain Cake. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Take care, Tim. Thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast. Check back every day for the latest episode. You can follow us on Twitter at Irish underscore tech news. On Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Irish Tech News. On LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Irish dash tech dash news. On Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Irish Tech News dot IE. And on TikTok, tiktok.com forward slash at Irish Tech News.